the last one, my target was 275 to 300 pages, and it was, turned out to be 430, I think. So I only missed about like 50% of my target. So <laughs> I, am, I am greatly thrilled that kids still pick it up and go with it and, and go with the read. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to a new episode of Friends in Fiction Writers Block Podcast. On this episode, we're chatting with New York Times bestselling authors Sarah Malinowski and James Ponty, both of whom are hugely popular authors of middle grade series geared more towards kids between 8 and 12. Sarah, who's also written for adults and teens, is the author of the Whatever After series. And if you haven't gotten your kids turned on to this yet, they're going to love it. They're going to love it. She's also the co-author of the Upside Down Magic series, which is now a Disney Channel movie. James is the author of the Framed, Dead City, and City Spies series. As a librarian myself, I can tell you how enormously popular these two authors are with young readers. I see their books fly off the shelves and kids highly anticipating new releases. We're thrilled to have them both today talking with us about writing series for middle grade readers. I am Ron Block. And I'm Kristen Harmel. I'll add that Sarah and James, who are longtime friends, aren't just popular with young readers. They're also popular with other writers, booksellers, and librarians across the country and across the world because they're tireless advocates for getting children interested in reading, especially in underserved communities, which is such important work. Sarah, who hails from Montreal now lives in Los Angeles with her husband and two daughters. James, who grew up in Florida, is the father of two sons and is now, along with his wife, Denise, an empty nester living in downtown Orlando. Both are New York Times bestsellers and both are kind, extraordinary human beings who are wonderful when it comes to sharing pieces of themselves with young fans. First up today is Sarah, who I've known since 2005 when we were both writing romantic comedies in what feels like a completely different phase of our lives. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Hi, thank you so much for having me. What a lovely intro. Sarah, first up, can you tell us a bit about the Whatever After series and the latest installment, Good is Gold? We love them. We love the we love the angle. We love the theme of them all. How did they get started? Tell us all about them. Of course. Well, there are I think there's 17 books in the Whatever After series now. So yep. in the series, Abby and her brother Jonah fall into different fairy tales mess them up, and then have to help the characters find new happy endings. And I, I started writing this series because I always loved fairy tales. As a kid, I used to you know, read them all the time. I used to retell them all the time. I used to change little details. When I was a kid, I would tell the story of the princess and the pea, but I wasn't really a fan of vegetables. So I would tell it as the princess <laughs> and the M&M. That was I like that. I like that. <laughs> a little yummier, you know? So I definitely always change them. 
And then when I became a mom, I started reading my daughter, Chloe, the fairy tales. And what I realized was that, well, I love fairy tales. I hated the endings of these fairy tales because they were all about princesses being saved by princes. And so I thought, well, what if I change these fairy tales and give them more um, empowered endings? And I have a regular girl who became Abby falling into these fairy tales, fracturing them, and then helping these princesses find different endings, ones where they don't necessarily have to marry the prince. If he's a great guy and they love him, fabulous, they can get married or they can start (laughs) dating. But if he's not, or if they want to do something else instead than that, they can follow their passions. So that became the idea behind Whatever After. I love it. Oh, good. Thank you. Well, Good as Gold is the latest one in the series. And I'm I'm forgetting, I'm going to look at my book. It's book 14 in the series. There are two special editions also, and I just finished writing book 17. So in book 14, Good as Gold, uh, Abby and Jonah fall into the story of uh, the three bears, Goldilocks and the three bears. But this is actually the first book where she there's a two-in-one because when I started to tell authors and other people that I was writing a book called Good is Gold, and I'd ask them to guess what fairy tale I was fracturing, Shannon Messenger on a panel actually said, oh, you must be doing Rumpelstiltskin. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm doing Goldilocks and the Three Bears. And so then I thought, well, if she thinks that, maybe other people will too. So maybe I'll have a two-in-one instead. Ooh. And so they start falling into Goldilocks and then the story ends up um, being Rumpelstiltskin as well. So it's the first time in 16 books that they have two fairy tales instead of Ooh. one. Bonus, bonus time. Yeah. <laughs> mix things up after book 16, I think. <laughs> so uh, when did you know that you were onto something with this series? Because it really has been very popular. Thank you. Well, you know what? I had this idea for so long and I knew what I wanted to do and to play with. And I knew I wanted to do something about fairy tales that as soon as I started writing and I knew I felt it was something different and special. It was also my first middle grade series. But before then, I had written about 20 books already. So it was my first time writing for an 8 to 12 audience. I started off in adults, as we said before, where, I, where Kristen and I used to do rom-com stuff together. I believe I even blurbed your first book. You did. It's right on the cover. Absolutely. <laughs> that, was, that was a lifetime ago. Um, and then I wrote YA. And then I just knew I also wanted to write for younger kids. And I think it really started to take off probably, I think it hit the New York Times list with book five. So that's what, yeah, that is, so it took, it, it, it was a slow build, but then it it took off. So that was, that was wonderful. Congrats. Yeah. yeah, I hit the New York times for the first time. I think it was book 25. So sometimes it takes a long time. That's (laughs) awesome. That's interesting. You know, it took me until, Gosh, how many books in was it? 12 books in, but o- over a decade too to hit the New York Times list right. for the first time. So yeah, you just you, you waited out long enough. Right? <laughs> a couple of overnight sensations. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And I, it's funny because I also, I just had my first movie last year for a different middle grade series that I read. I read a series called Upside Down Magic. And that was also like book 40. I finally have a movie. Hooray. Which is, that was a lot of fun too. So mine must be right on its way, right? My my movie's right around the corner if I'm following the Sarah plan. Can't wait. (laughs) So Sarah, as I mentioned, you started off 20 years ago writing romantic comedy for adults, just like I did. Um, Can you talk a little bit about your road from that through young adult novels to what you're doing now? 
Yeah, for sure. Well, it's interesting because my 20 year anniversary for my first book, Milk Red, is in de- this December. So it really wow. is 20 years. Wow. And of course, my life has changed in so many ways. So at the time, when I, I'll tell you a little bit about how I got into writing, I, I was always a novelist. I always knew I wanted to write, but uh, I studied English literature at McGill in Montreal. And then I knew I wanted to write, but I also thought, okay, well, I need a job that actually pays the rent. So I decided to get into publishing. And I, I interned at a children's publisher in Montreal, the only one, um, Lobster Press, which I don't think is still around anymore. And then I moved to Toronto, which is the center of Canadian publishing, and took courses in publishing and ended up getting a job. Well, first at a bookstore, children's bookstore, Mabel's Fables, while I was still taking classes. And then I got a job in the marketing department at Harlequin Enterprises, which was based in Toronto. And I was in the marketing department and I loved my job. I got to uh, come up with, you know, uh, cover concept ideas and marketing plans for all these amazing books with titles such as um, The Virgin Bride Said Wow. I believe that was my favorite <laughs> ever worked. Virgin, wow, wow is in quotes, just in case you're wondering. It really uh, but I love the people there. I love the company. I had a great time. And while I was there, they were launching a new series of books called Red Dress Inc., uh, right, which you know well, Kristen. And then um, from these books, they they were looking for twenty something authors to write these books, and it was new. It was Chicklet. It was Bridget Jones' Diary, Sex in the City, and that wasn't what they had published before. So I remember seeing you know everyone talking about these books and thinking to myself, "This is what this is my end. I want to do this. Um, this is my chance." So I started writing about my own you know bad dates. I was single and twenty three, and I, I just finished college, and I and my then boyfriend had just gone backpacking uh, to Australia and broken up with me. And I thought I'm just writing my story about a girl who works at a romance publisher, but I called it Cupid instead. Um, And I just started writing about these experiences and of course, fictionalizing everything. And when I finished, um, I sold it to Harlequin uh, under their registering umbrella. And then I became, I started writing full time. I got a multi-book contract and then I knew I loved writing Chicklet, but I always wanted to write for younger readers. That's when I first fell in love with reading. That's what I wanted to capture. That was kind of all always my my dream. So I started working on uh, Bras and Broomsticks, which was the, my first YA novel about a girl who finds out that her little sister is a witch and that she is not. And she is not happy about that. <laughs> um, and then I was writing an adult book a year and a teen book a year. And I left Harlequin to write full time. And I sold that new series to Random House. And then I just became a full-time writer and I ended up moving to New York. My then boyfriend, the same boyfriend, by the way, who had uh, broken up with me to backpack through Australia, but we got back together (laughs) and then we ended up um, moving to New York and I became a full-time writer. That's amazing. And so I know you still, in addition to writing your middle grade books now, you also write for young adults. And I know you just had just a boy and a girl in a little canoe come out recently, which is such a great title. What, what appeals to you about writing for that age group in addition to writing for middle grade readers? Is it kind of stretching different writing muscles when you're when you're writing for each group? Yes. Although, to be honest, I haven't written another YA. Right now, I'm really focusing on middle grade. So my last YA probably came out about two years ago, and I haven't written another one since. I think I'm really focusing on the younger readers right now. For me, 
I feel like I'm so far from the YA space and middle grade. I have two kids who are two daughters who are very much in that age range now too. And it's a lot of fun for me to stay in that for the first time. I'm dabbling in other things too. I live in LA now, so I'm playing around with screenplays and, you know, other producing stuff and doing other things also. Um, and I, part of me also wants to maybe one day go back to writing adult. Now that I've had, I haven't been an adult in so long because I went from adult to then doing adult and teen and then I stopped adult, teen, and middle grade, and now I'm mostly middle grade, but now maybe I want to go full circle and start writing, you know, momlet maybe or something like that. <laughs> Since I last wrote an adult book, I've had, I've, you know, I've gotten married, I've had two children, I've moved twice, I've had all these experiences and I would like to, and they're hilarious, <laughs> like to capture them in fiction at some point. So I'm not sure when that is, but um, I mean, I love all of them and they are different writing muscles. But for me, my voice, I feel like stays very consistent in all of them. And I play with going, you know, in all in all these different age groups, I play with, um, they're all basically fun stories about, you know, girls or women in different top parts of their of their lives. And the way I think the way that I look at the world is the same in all of them. Kind of, uh, I try to I try to make them amusing. They're a little adventure um, they're comic novels about women. And, you know, as someone, as someone who's read you for years and loved your writing for years, I absolutely agree. I mean, you know, you, you know, when you're picking up one of your books that you're going to get that same kind of journey. And, and there's a very Sarah Mlanofsky feel to everything you write. (laughs) Thank you, I guess. I hope. (laughs) Well, stretching beyond that, one of the things we wanted to talk to both you and James about today is getting kids interested in reading, which we know can be a daunting task at times. I think it's uh, the series, though, is, is really crucial for that because kids get hooked on one and then they want them all. I've seen kids stop, you know, check out a whole stack of the same thing because they can't wait and they eat them up so fast. But you're also a co-founder of OMG Book Fest, a celebration yeah. of books that are aimed at the early to middle grade readers. And it brings together commercial and award-winning authors with underserved local communities. Can you talk a little bit about that initiative and why people Keeping the kids' interest in books at that early age is so crucial? Uh, for sure. So that um, OMG started about five years ago, or maybe it was six years ago at this point, and we decided that we really wanted to go into different communities, bring middle grade authors, have fun with these kids, and also to work with Title One schools to get kids books. So when we would go into, we, we started actually in Columbus, Ohio was our first book festival. And um, we partnered with a school there um, and we brought in different kids and we were able to get grants in order for every kid in the school to have fun and games with these authors and to meet these authors in real life. And then to also take home a book from one of these authors and to get it signed as well. And then as the festival grew, we moved to a different city every year. And um, it, so the first the first year was just a small book signing and I think 11 authors and the, the school day event, which was the cent- was really the, like the, the best part, you know, getting in front of all these kids and doing these activities all day. And then the next year, the public event grew, uh, you know, to a few, to having, getting in front of a few hundred people and getting in front of, I think it was like a thousand kids in the Title I school. And then also we added on an educator day as well. So every year it's grown a little bit and it's just, it's become this amazing experience. Last year we did it virtually, which was different, but we still got to speak to kids across the country, uh, which was, you know, it was different. It was, it was Chicago based. So we, we catered it to Chicago schools, but other kids across the country will, and their teachers were able to tune in as well. Nice, nice. And, and it gives 
so much to those kids who may not have that opportunity any other way. But you really specifically target the underserved communities. Why is it so important to engage those kids in particular? Well, I just think that those kids don't necessarily have had the same experiences or have the same access to books over the years. And I think that what we want to do is to make sure that these kids realize that they have a voice and that their voice is is valid and they have a story. And these are the tools. We teach writing in a lot of these um, activities as well. So they realize that their voice is important and this is how you use it. And then like these authors, we bring in authors, um, you know, of all ethnicities and we, we want kids to see themselves in the books and in the authors speaking to them. Nice. That's amazing. It really is awesome. Right. It is. <laughs> Sarah, you've also co-written a number of books with Lauren Miracle and Emily Jenkins, who also writes as E. Lockhart. Can you talk a little bit about the Upside Down Magic series and what it's like to write for kids with two of your friends? Absolutely. I, I have co-written a lot of books and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, so we started Upside Down Magic because we wanted to write together. We had written, the three of us had written a book called How to Be Bad for Teenagers. Mm-hmm. And we we actually met on MySpace, which some people may remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. And so we, we started to talk. We thought we would be really fun to write a book together. And so we would lob different chapters at each other. We each had a character and we would you know, we would each write our character and then throw an adventure towards the next person. Actually, Kristen, you took us to Disney. I remember I when we were, when we, the three of us were researching <laughs> this book, we had a whole section based in Disney at, at Disney and you brought us to Disney and it was amazing. And we learned so much and that whole section ended up in the book. So thank you for that. Um, we enjoyed writing YA so much together that we thought we would really write, we would have a great time writing middle grade together too. And we worked with our editor and it's, you know, our, our structure and how we've done it has changed a few times over the years. When we wrote How to Be Bad, we each had a character with three alternating perspectives and we would each own that character and we'd each write and then the next person would, you know, write the story from the other person, the other character's perspective. But with How to Be, with, with um, Upside Down Magic, when we started, it was mainly one character. And the way that we did it was that we divided it up so that at first I was in charge of the outline. So I would do all the outlining of the book. Lauren Miracle would do the first draft and then uh, Emily would do the revision. So that was, we each had our own role and our jobs and that's kind of how we structured it. And then after about book five, we decided that we were a little bit bored of that and we met, we did it a little bit differently was that we would each do like an hour a day. So we would all outline together. We would all revise. We would all write the first draft. So that's, we just wanted to mix things up to keep things fresh and fun. And that was a really fun way to do it too. But we were not all in the same room writing. We've all been in different cities. Emily was in Brooklyn. I've been in LA and um, Lauren was in Colorado. So we did it all via, you know, internet and WhatsApp and, uh, and Google Docs. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Um, God, this has been so fun. But finally, Sarah, I have one last question for you. We have a lot of listeners who are parents and grandparents. We've talked about the importance of young readers getting hooked on reading. But what are some of the tips or advice that you have for these parents and grandparents to get their kids interested? I would say get them books that they are interested. Do not try to force them to read books that you read when you were a child because it will sit there on the bedside table and never be read. Some 
tips and tricks I've learned with my own daughters too, is that my older one is a huge, you know, uh, she loves audiobooks. That's what she loves to listen to. And those are a great way into books. And so are graphic novels. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid of graphic novels. Mm -hmm. I find a lot of parents are very nervous and uncomfortable with it, but honestly it is reading and it'll also get kids. You want them to get used to reading every night and to love books. And and graphic novels are fantastic. My own daughter, my little one is reading the Wings of Fire series right now in graphic novels. And she listens to them too. And then she'll also read some of the books too. So it's a great way for them to to try different things. That's awesome. Great advice. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. And we cannot wait for April when your next whatever after novel, Just Dance, hits bookstores. It was so nice chatting with you today, Sarah. Thank you so much. It was so great hearing about your career in books. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Next up, we welcome New York Times bestselling author James Ponty to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block podcast. James, it is so great to have you with us. It is greater for me. This is a, a thrill to be talking to you guys, and you know, I'm very excited. Almost as excited as we are, but let's start off by you telling us a little bit about your City Spies series in general, but also your latest installment, City Spies Golden Gate. Okay, um, City Spies is... It's, Spy series, as you might guess from the title, it is about five kids from around the world who have all been adopted by this um, an MI6 agent during his travels on missions that I don't want to spoil too much about why he's out there. He comes across kids in need sometimes and he can't turn his back on them. And so he raises them as a family of spies because he knows no better. And MI6 uses them in situations where adults would stand out. You know, so it's like a place where, you know, kids can blend in a little bit better. And and that is the the, the ideal of the of the series. The the first book took place in Paris with uh, the threat of a virus release, which, of course, I wrote before. I knew we were going to have a virus around the world. Um, the second yeah. one is um, search for uh, uh, City Spies Golden Gate is the most recent one to come out. And that is the search for a mole in MI6, an investigation of an agent's death that takes us to San Francisco, which is really fun. And in February, the newest one comes out. It's called City Spies Forbidden City. And it takes place in London, Beijing, and Moscow. And tons of fun writing about these places. Up until COVID, I usually visited all the places and to try to do research. And, and it's, it's really great fun to write And it's been great to connect with kids over these adventures. Yes. And I'll say as a librarian that you think that maybe the books that are this thick are not going to appeal to these kids, but they eat them up and they can't wait for the next one in the series to come out. And I love it. I, I, you know, I was a very reluctant reader growing up. Um, I struggled with this and still to, to a great degree, struggle with the speed of how much I read. And so I always gravitated to short books and it's always my intention to write a shorter book. <laughs> and when it comes, like the last one, my target was 275 to 300 pages, and it would turn out to be 430, I think. So I only missed about like 50% of my target. So <laughs> I, am, I am greatly thrilled that kids still pick it up and go with it and, and go with the read. Well, the characters are so relatable to them, and they can find somebody that is like them a little bit. Whether, um, anyway, it's they're just amazing. The kids just just relate to them so well. 
Well, and you know, Ron, you and I were talking with Sarah a little bit about kids who walk into the library and walk out with a huge stack of books. And the nice thing about a book like what James writes is you don't have to walk out with, you know, 17 books on your, maybe in your arms. (laughs) You essentially have a few books within one. They're just such, uh, such sweeping plots. They're fantastic. Um, so James, you and I had lunch a couple weeks ago, which was such a pleasure. I so enjoyed spending some time with you. And you were telling me a little bit about your path into what you're doing now, including working on children's television shows, which is so cool. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and why you've always felt so drawn to creating stories and engaging content specifically for kids? Um, first of all, let me say that I have name dropped you in that lunch numerous times. You know, because <laughs> we get together, but but you know, an actual like grown-up writer writing for grown-up readers was just a, a real thrill to share with them all. Um, so I, I I I was a reluctant reader who always loved writing, and so because of that, I gravitated to script writing. And 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 as late as my senior year of high school, I was going to major either in playwriting or I was going to major in screenwriting. And I decided to major in screenwriting. I went to college at University of Southern California and, and studied film for four years. And that was great for me. One of the things I always loved about movies and TV shows was they're the same length for everyone. So whereas I was always behind people on books, the movie is the movie and we can all talk about it after. Um, so I started writing, but for whatever reason, my my skill set, my I was drawn to writing for kids. And so I started the Disney channel and Nickelodeon immigrated over to PBS and, and, and did these sh- sh- kids shows. And I always loved doing that. And um, later in a uh, professional, so that was my first professional life. And my second professional life, I produced TV shows for like history channel and TNN and NBC sports. And, and that was, that was fun, but I missed the writing part because I had always, so at night I would write, and since I had written kids' television, it just seemed to make sense to write kids' books. And so that's what I tried to do, and amazingly, it worked out. And now I am just writing. I, it, for the last year now, I have only been writing books, and it's been such a thrill. Um, I, I feel bad because it's at this time where the whole world is shutting down, but it was actually the time when I was just moving into my office anyway. So it has been... Um, I think what I like about kids writing is that kids love a story more than, than any adult I know. And they reread and reread and reread. I had kids tell me they've read some of my books 12 times, which seems ridiculous. I haven't read them that much. I had, I had a a kid this past week. Um, I I just did 10, 10 schools in um, outside of Austin, Texas, a whole week of school visits. Wow. And this one girl came up to me afterwards and, and asked if she could take a picture and if I would sign her books to her and her father because they read them together. Aww. And the librarian told me that um, she was a virtual student. So she was only attending school virtually. But when her parents asked if she could come to the in-person visit, the school said, unfortunately, she couldn't because of the, the policies of the district. And so her parents arrived that morning and they enrolled her. <gasps> a virtual student for the rest of the year because you can't take it back. Oh. And they changed it just because she was so hopeful to meet me and talk to me about these books that meant so much to her. And I felt completely unworthy incredible. of that. Wow. But that's why I like to write for kids. Kids, some kid loved the books enough 
that she was able to talk her parents into changing the decision they had made. And it is touching. And it's also, I feel an incredible responsibility to the kids who read the books, knowing what books mean to them. That's amazing. Wow. What a story. Uh, no. And that's the whole thing right there. That, yeah. that this, the kind of things that let us know we're doing the right things. Absolutely. Yes. And, 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 and very much so. And, and they take the edge off of a lot of your minor complaints in life. It's like, oh, wait, that's right. This is kind of special work I get to do working with kids. And, you know, I usually don't get to meet them. But when you meet them, it's special. Yeah, yes. it really is. Uh, one of the things I was impressed by is how many school visits you actually do. And especially during the last year, you have switched kind of your visits to a virtual format and did an amazing job with kids everywhere. Can you talk about why it's important to connect with kids in any way possible, especially virtual? And and really, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is an essential part of being a middle grade fiction author is to visit schools. And this is not something you know coming into it. It's important for the publishers because for the publishers, it's how you get the word out. You know, we, right. kid, we don't communicate with kids directly, but you go to schools and they, and they come there. And, but it is so crucial because when it's, it's, it's a two-way street. When I go, I feel like I am an ambassador for the world of kid lit. So we're, I'm going to talk about my books, but I'm not really talking about my books. I'm talking about Sarah's books, our, our friend Stu, our Max's. I'm talking about books, and I'm the representative sent because usually a school will get one author visit a year. And I'm there to tell them how a life of storytelling has changed my life yep. and the value of reading that took me around the world both imaginatively and figuratively and literally. And so, so that's part of it. But... COVID made it impossible. And then all of a sudden COVID opened up all these opportunities we never had before. Yeah. So I, I was able to throw out a contest and say, all right, so if you want to have a visit to your school, how about a visit with me and Stuart Gibbs who writes Spy School and Beth McMullen who writes Mrs. Smith's School for Spies, Girls School, you know, and all three of us can come together even though we're spread across the country. And so that has been the new take on the virtual visits. And then this past week, I went back in person, and I'm going to try to do a mixture of those moving forward. Yeah, I think a virtual component is probably in all of our futures because the reach is just so huge. Well, you know what else? Everyone has gotten over, you know, I have to say, when it was just Skype and and you were trying to refigure out how to do it each time, and some of the schools didn't have it, some did what, what has happened with Zoom and the fact that we've all had to use it or we've all had to use Microsoft Teams or whatever it is the different school districts use is we've gotten over that initial phobia. Yeah. And instead of doing the same visit, but now I'm home and you're there, I think a lot of us have realized, wait a minute, you're now in the office where I write. So why don't you, I'm just going to on my screen, pull up my, my corrections that just came in for my editor. And you can read along with me as I show you what she changed or here are the photos that I took on my trip to Alcatraz that were part of the research for that. And they can see my screen and they can see me up close and I can show videos and it really has opened up a new way of connecting with kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we, um, we talked to Sarah a little bit about your involvement with OMG book fest, which is another great way to reach out to kids and to connect with them. Why is it so important to connect with those kids? 
It is, I, I think it is always important, but I think now maybe more so than usual is I think there is a lot of separation anxiety going on. I think there's a lot of, you know, already middle, you know, middle, middle school authors are all people who struggle through middle school. And the whole point of it is, you know, we're going back and we're revisiting these troubling times in part to see if we can figure them out. But in part, I, I, I'll tell kids sometimes, I feel like our books really are maps of how to make it navigate middle school and navigate these tween years or early teen years that it can be so confusing and which so much of media is giving them either mixed messages or asking them to be older than, than they should be. And I feel like we, by connecting to them, not just on the page, but in an environment where we can laugh together or cry together. And, you know, we usually do all those things when we have a school visit or a virtual visit It is that there's, a person behind the books. And I think that's really the most important thing of that is when I grew up, I imagined that, you know, if you were a writer, you went to like some fancy school in the Northeast and, and you lived in New York or maybe Chicago or maybe LA. And I love coming here. I live in Orlando and I'll tell kids, I'll show kids a picture of two students. I go, here are two students that love reading. And they, I say, you can relate to them, right? Because they live here. And I say the names of the schools they're at. And I tell them, and I go, you know, they go to the same grocery store you go to. And, oh, by the way, this one's name is Kate DiCamillo. And this one's name is John Green. And after they were these kids in your neighborhood, they grew up to be the writers who everyone listens to, doing all the same things you do. So if you think that's some distant, far-off thing, because you only see books at a bookstore or at a library – I'm here to tell you that it's not the case. There are writers everywhere amongst us, and we don't come from fancy backgrounds. Oftentimes, it's the opposite. Yeah. You know, oftentimes, it's the, you know, we come from the background where the fact that we were willing to write, it's like an even playing field, and, and we all can do it. And so, anyway, I'm rambling. I don't mean to ramble, but you're, you're touching on subjects that are dear to my heart. <laughs> and, and I, just, through. I want them to feel like, whether they want to be a writer or not, that their story matters, their voice matters, and they can share that in a song, they can share it in a poem, they can share it on social media, they can share a blog, however they want, but it matters. And and this is not the exclusive realm of the 2%. This is the realm of everyone. So well said. Oh, my God. Absolutely. You know, and James, I think I know the answer to this listening to you talk about it. But do you think you've grown as a result of having all this exposure to these kids, being able to interact with them and realize? Okay. Absolutely. (laughs) And, you know, it is – I've grown in some – with that that, that lesson that we learn that is so valuable in – in these age of that group, you know, my books are in theory aimed at nine to 13, but I, I think the spread is much bigger than that, but in that age from nine to 13 and even through high school, which is we are trying to hide our differences. And so many of our problems come from trying to hide our differences and the celebration of writing and creativity is that no, the differences are, that's the commodity. That's the great thing because you're different in an odd way. The more you share you're unique. Like, I can't believe this silly, stupid thing happened to me or that I'm guilty of this. The more people say, wait, I do that. I do that. And they connect. I did a school visit again last week. And it was, it it was, there was a rough 
it was a it, it wasn't perfect. It was um, it was late, and the kids were anxious, and some were wrapped, and some were not wrapped. And I talked about you know I showed them through my journey through life and how that affects my writing. And you know I showed them a picture of my family when I was little, and and they all noticed instantly that there's no father. And I said, you know, I've never met my father. I don't know. What he, I don't know that he's alive. He's dead. I don't really care at this point. But I've lived a life without that. And I bring that up not to make you feel bad for me, but to know if you read City Spies or Framed or Dead City, you'll notice there are there are family members missing in all these books. That this is something I'm working out. I'm doing whatever. And the kid who literally had been the most disruptive all through the class came up to me afterwards and says. My dad's been in prison for years and I've never really been with him to talk to him. And so I appreciate that you mentioned that. And I said, no, I appreciate that you told me, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, so that was worth it to me. And so that growth is, there was a part of me maybe earlier on, if I was in front of a group and one kid was acting up, I would probably be like, oh, that kid is driving me ah. And here it's like, no, you know what? That kid's got an issue like that. And there's a reason. And yeah. so I'm just, you know, and then let's meet with love in the middle of like, okay, we have that in common. Who would have thought coming in? Would you, all right, I would have, because I've seen it happen. But would you have thought coming in that the person who wrote the book that you're about to hear about would on such a base level connect with you? And that's just really, lear- I, I learn a lot. And, and the other thing I learned, you mentioned these kids take out these huge, thick books. And I learned how they smart they are. They are so yeah. smart. And when I, 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 was, I was lucky. I was nominated for the Edgar a couple of times. And I'd go up. And, in the, and, and it's a whole week of events. And everyone's kind of fascinated because it's like, well, you write for kids. And we all write murder mysteries. I said, well, I don't get to write murder mysteries because – you don't kill people in kids' mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And they go, well, what do you, you know, what do you change? I said, that's the only change. I go, my plots are just as complicated. You yeah. know, and, and because the kids keep up with it. Yeah. They really keep up with it. And they they're do. so smart. And they get so much out of it. And their questions are enlightening and out of left field. And you do. I, I feel like I've learned a lot from them. Well, that's wow. Awesome. Those connections are so special. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, and I think those kids have learned so much from you too. It's 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 amazing when it can go both ways. Well, I um, so. I oh, I, I absolutely, absolutely, it does. So, James, we since we're talking about middle grade series today, I know you've written three series. Um, yes. Maybe have I probably have more in you in the future, but so I, far I, I, I it's just, been. <laughs> I just finished my fourth one last week. So before oh, I went wow, yeah, I sent my my hope to be next series to my oh, editor. That's hey, so no. exciting! Oh, I I can't wait to hear about yeah, it. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll wait. So I when I know I'll get back in touch with you. So yeah, another another lunch is in order. I see. Yeah, so so far you've written the City Spy series, which you're still working on, right. the Frame series, and the Dead City series. Um, right. Why does series appeal to you instead of standalone books for readers that age? I I think it must come from my background in series television. So so my education was script writing in school. And then my edu- professional experience education was series writing where, where the dynamic is really different. You're not setting up a character for the most significant moment of their life, which is maybe how you would view say a movie, but um, 
you are developing characters who can deal with multiple issues over time and the, and, and the readers going along with it. So I feel like, I think I naturally think in that way um, from a business standpoint, it's kind of nice to know when they sign off, it's like, okay, so for the next two, three years, at least I'm going to be working with these characters so I can really get my head into them and, and, and research them. And I have found, especially during COVID, there's a sizable portion of our readership that flocks to series. Yeah. And, you know, I think when, when parents were, the kids were at home and they're all, it's like, well, you like this one. There's three more. I'll get it. You know, my buddy Stu has nine books in his, in his spy school uh-huh. series. And, you know, I'm like, keep going, Stu. I, you know, <laughs> so I think, you know, Lisa Graff is an author who writes standalone books in our age group and they're beautiful and lovely and wonderful. And she does that great. And so she, she leans to that. Renee Watson does that, but you know, so I, th- I think, I think it's just kind of a, uh, in you as to which path attracts you. Yeah. I, I wish I could do that. I've always wished that I could write a series and I just, I don't, I don't, I don't have it in me may, or may, maybe I just haven't figured out how to do it yet, but you okay. do it so well. And, and what an incredible thing to do. Well, well I'm wondering your books though, do you feel like they, I mean, you, you're basing on real life places, and yeah. real life events. Do you feel like they're interconnected? Like in theory, they are part of uh, the Harmel universe that connects <laughs> all, you know, whether it's Poland or, or, or Paris or whatever, that like someone on that train might be that character mm. from the other book. You know, I'm actually, that is a plot point in my next book. There's a connection to my previous book. So you're right. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I like this idea of the Harmel universe. Let's, yeah. let's, <laughs> let's think more about that in the future. It's all, it's all coming together. <laughs> well, sign me up for any of it. Okay. <laughs> so finally, James, with the holiday shopping season already in progress, believe it or not, can you talk to our listeners about why books make such special gifts for the children in our lives and why getting them hooked now on series like yours and Sarah's can make a big difference in their lives? I would say that, first of all, I greatly appreciate anyone that buys one of my books. You know, that's, and, and, and the greatest honor to me is anyone, especially a kid, who spends the time necessary to read 350 or 400 page or whatever of a book. But I don't, I don't care if you buy my books and, and my publishers want to hear that. Buy, buy books for kids. <laughs> Find the books that are right for the kid because I think we are now, and, and, and depending on how old the listeners are, they, if they're old like me, there was a limit to the, there was a, there were great kids books out, but there was a lot of mediocrity and there was very little representation of, and I'm not just talking about race or religion, but I, I didn't, that one of the reasons I wasn't a good reader was I didn't connect to anything other than star receivers of the NFL. Cause I kind of knew some of their, them from television. What's great about books is, you know, a book can be shared, a book can be treasured, a book can be saved, a book can be passed along. There's so many things. It's a tangible, real thing. And a book can take us anywhere. A book, even, even when we're trapped inside, even when there's COVID, even when there's, you know, this and that, you can go anywhere, whether it's on Wimpy Kid or Dork Diaries or graphic novel or a serious topic or a fun adventure or or whatever, they, they are just incredible that way. Yeah. When I when, when I used to not sign enough books, 
Now, luckily now, I, I sign enough books that I just sign my name because there's not enough time. When I used to have time because, well, there's no one else in line and we've got 40 minutes to kill here at the, at the bookstore. Um, I, would, I would write, the secrets of the universe are in books. Read and you can do and be anything. And oh. I believe that is so true. And what I do like about what we do and what I aspire to do and try to do is my books have fun and adventure and humor and some real connection, but also there is, I write about real things. And when you write in an action comedy and, and all that stuff, you kind of get to slip in real things that matter. And, and, and that's really special. I, I, I do a ton of research on my books for the newest book. I think I told Kristen about this. Actually the past director of the CIA his wife is a librarian, and he met with me on the phone to discuss all my spy missions to make them accurate. Wow. But I know that there aren't 12-year-old spies. So I feel like what I owe it to my readers is <laughs> what they're doing isn't real. But how who they are to each other is straight out of your life with your friends or your enemies or your frenemies or your classmates, and it's real. And sharing that ability with kids to be able to examine real things while still being entertained, to be able to use a present over and over if they want to read it over. It's just, you know, it's all I've given for years are books. And anyone wants a list of what to go, you know, ask the P ask Ron, ask, you know, ask your librarian, ask your independent bookseller. There's so many people who can help you find the right book. Um, we also have another site that Sarah and I are part of. If you go to jamesponty.com, that's my website that has my books. But renegadesofmiddlegrade.com is a group of 32 middle grade authors. And if you like any one of us, you're going to like the other 31, I guarantee you. Nice. Uh, such a great group. And there are so many ideas. So yeah, give a book. They mail easy. They wrap. There's so much easier to wrap than most presents. It really is a perfect <laughs> gift. You are absolutely right. Yeah, and what I couldn't agree more. There is no better note to end on. Books make perfect gifts, especially for kids who need to find themselves in those books. So James, thank you so much for being with us today. You know I adore both you and Sarah. And we are so excited that readers will have the chance to check out not just City Spies Golden Gate, but also your new book in the series, which you mentioned, City Spies Forbidden City, which is coming in February. It was so great having you here with us today, James. It's great being here. It's my honor. And, and, and one thing you said that I just like to reiterate is there's that saying that people love, which is you get lost in a book. And I totally disagree. I think you get found in a book. Oh. And you, give a kid, you give a kid that book and they don't get lost. They get found. And it's a life forever. I was a kid who never read, but I read one book of the mixed up files of Mrs. Baisley Frank Weiler. <laughs> and that book changed my life forever. So, Same here. That book is amazing. Awesome. You, you can do it for $12, a paperback and a wrapper. Thank you so very much for having me. Thank you. Oh, my God. This was great. We can't thank James and Sarah enough, both for joining us and for doing the important work of not only writing wonderful, exciting series for young readers, but also going that extra mile to engage with those readers. As a librarian, I see firsthand both how difficult it can be to engage young readers, but also how important and rewarding both James and Sarah are doing more than just writing great books. They're changing lives and helping shape the future. And that's something we can all get behind. 
To all of you out there, we hope that you'll dive into Sarah's Whatever After series and James City Spies series, both of which make excellent gifts for the young readers in your lives, and both of which you can find in most libraries across the country, too. You can learn more about Sarah at sarahm.com. That's S-A-R-A-H with an M right after it. And more about James at jamesponti.com. And that's P-O-N-T-I. Thank you all for tuning in to the Friends and Fiction Writers Block Podcast. If you're enjoying our conversations, please tell a friend. We'll see you next time. Remember, you can always find all the books by every Friends and Fiction Writers Block Podcast guest, past and present, in the friendsandfictionbookshop.org shop. All sales placed there help to fund Friends and Fiction, and a portion of each and every sale goes straight into the pockets of indie booksellers nationwide. Since its inception, bookshop.org has raised more than $16 million for indie bookstores. Shop small, shop local, from the convenience of your screen with bookshop.org, and tell them Friends and Fiction sent you. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends and Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.